Hey, hey, welcome to the Weekly Hodl with Shibs, where I bring you weekly Bitcoin adoption news and interviews from experts in the space. In this interview, we'll be discussing the vital importance of attending your local Bitcoin meetups and how they can accelerate your journey into the world of Bitcoin. We'll also explore strategies for learning and contributing to the Bitcoin ecosystem straight from the insights of our guest, Michael Matliff. Michael participates in the local Chicago BitDevs. Shout out to everybody there. Appreciate everything you do. Um, where we met originally and has been contributing some awesome work with his thought-provoking articles for Bitcoin Magazine and the Mises Institute. We'll get an inside look into his recent works and the impacts of the to- that those topics have on the Bitcoin community and economics in general. But let's not delay any further. Let's get right into it. What's going on, Mike? Welcome to the um, Weekly Hoddle. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Julian. Yeah. Pleasure yeah, to we, be we, here. We've talked about it a couple times uh, at the local Chicago Bit Devs when you've come in. I, you seemed a little hesitant originally with, with joining, but I'm glad I got you on. I think you're a good representation <laughs> um, of of the differences you know, that plebs can make uh, in, in this community um, by just you know, putting your nose to the grindstone, doing some research uh, and finding where you can kind of add value to the community. So so thank you for all your efforts there. Thank you for sure. everything you do with the Chicago Bit Devs and, uh, you know, everything man. that you're working on. Yeah. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Lovely to be here. Yeah. Good. Glad to have you. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, for those people that don't know you, um, just let everybody know who you are, kind of how you got into Bitcoin, uh, and and just a little bit about yourself. Sure. So my name is Michael Matliff, and um, I got into Bitcoin really just a couple of years ago, 2021. Um, and but I first heard about Bitcoin in like 2013. Um, just back then, I was really getting into like libertarianism and you know sound money and i never pulled the trigger back then i never took the time to do the research to understand it from like a technological technical level and so i kind of dismissed it back then kind of got into it a little bit in 2017 um i bought like a little bitcoin one time buy. i also bought some like bitcoin cash and ethereum <laughs> like there was a, that was like a hype cycle back then and um, I just forgot about it. And then fast forward to 2021, I have my son was born and, you know, thinking about his future and trying to provide for him. Uh, I started to listen to investing podcasts and there's one um, by the We Study Billionaires guys that Preston Pish is on. And yep. I would notice that every week there'd be this episode that was specifically geared towards bitcoin and eventually i started to listen to that and that kind of i guess like kicked off the that moment where you just like can't consume enough information about it and wanted to learn more and more and more about it and so yeah yeah very very cool and then we uh you and i both met uh, i believe for the first time at at our local Bitcoin meetup. Um, yeah, shout out so, Chicago Bitdevs. 
Yeah, shout out to Chicago BitDebs. Uh, and uh, that's been really helpful. I know personally in my journey, first of all, like just as like a, an opportunity to kind of be around other Bitcoiners, which is like number one, right? Because you find yourself kind of when you go down certain rabbit holes and you start thinking in a particular way uh, and you can't quickly get other people to think that way that are around you, it gets a little uh, exhausting. So it's nice to be around people that are, you know, thinking about sound money, right? It's nice to be around, you know, people that kind of view the world the same way that you do. You may experience frustrations with your family and friends. So it's nice to make those connections. Yeah. So what, what's the what's the importance? Uh, I, I like to, to harp on the local meetups because I think it's super important for everybody to get involved yeah. if they have one around. Um, so what, what is the importance of uh, of like the local meetups? Because you don't only go to the Chicago bit devs, you travel a little bit uh, to Chicago for that. And I think you do some in Milwaukee as well and um, and around. So what do you think the importance of, of those are to people's development? So yeah, I, I I volunteer at both those meetups, the Fit Devs in Chicago and Milwaukee meetup, <clears throat> and and uh, I I think the importance of meetups um, really is just the ex- extension of um, being involved in your local community, and um, I think you know that's where you can really have the most impact is at the local level. Um, so fostering your local community. Um, even if it's not Bitcoin, if you can just get involved in other ways in your community, I think that's something that everyone should really strive to aim for. Um, yeah. 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 I, I, I feel the same way, right? Like I, I say it all the time now, but, uh, Bitcoin has put a particular concentration for me on just producing value at the smallest uh, concentration for producing value at the smallest levels, you know, the familial level, uh, the community level, and then kind of building out from there. Uh, and I think it's definitely an opportunity, you know, to get together with some people and, you know, Bitcoin being the conduit it is for making uh, like kind of hopeful change in the world. It's a good place to to be around people with similar views like that. Um, but one of the things that I've kind of noticed, we got into Bitcoin more seriously around the same time. Um, But I'm like shocked at the pace at which you're able to to pick up different ideas, um, different ideological, you know, parts of Bitcoin. Um, And. And I I just kind of wanted to know, you know, for those people trying to pick things up quicker, like you know, what is it that you're doing? Uh, I mean, it's clear that you got to be reading a lot, right? Um, but like, besides that, you know, how, how are you kind of like tailoring your learning? Because you're picking up technical stuff. You're not a technical person, right? Like, I mean, that's not... No, nope, I am. I'm far to the left on that bell curve. <laughs> yeah, so so give, give, give some tips and tricks or whatever I mean, it is you're doing. Oh, uh, for like, to start, I think, you know, Bitcoin is one of those things where you really need like multidisciplinary understanding to really fully appreciate what this thing is or what this thing is capable of. Um, so for me, I, I got into uh, like libertarianism and Austrian economics back in like 2011, 2012. 
And, um, you know, that was my, like, that was one of my first rabbit holes way before Bitcoin. Um, so, you know, I have a background in those ideas and those um, schools of thought. Um, but like I said, it really wasn't until I started to understand more of the technical side of things that I really felt like I could appreciate this thing for what it was. So that's part of it. Um, uh, sorry, what, what was the, what were we going with that? Yeah. So, so you had some, so it's clear you had some like kind of adjacent, uh, oh, yeah, adjacent okay. so skills else, and you're kind I, of filling in the doing? holes. So, yeah. Okay. So how, what my do my study habits, um, I am fortunate enough and what I do for a day job as a safety inspector that I have a lot of time in the car driving around between doing reports and inspections. So I get to listen to a lot of podcasts. Okay. So um, I consume probably three to five hours of podcasts during the week, like on Monday through Friday. So attribute that to a lot of my uh my learning so, yeah and then on the technical side what uh this this show is not technical really at all you know we, we aspire to have some technical guests on but to help with the beginner's knowledge of of kind of uh you know the more simple topics so what what technical podcast would you recommend for people that are out there that that might be interesting? technical podcast um well my favorite is probably Bitcoin Audible guy. Um, okay. And he goes from the whole gamut of economics to game theory, but he also has some technical stuff. Um, Bitcoin Review with NVK is really technical. Um, yeah, kind of a newer podcast too. Yeah, it is. Um, but, you know, it, that's a good place to start. And he's got some episodes that are themed around different topics. So um, that's another good one. Um, there's Bitcoin Explained with uh, with Aaron Van Weirdom and with Schnorz or Shores. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, I haven't so actually yeah, I think heard those of that are, one. Oh yeah, that's a that's a pretty good one. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Um, so so for you, it's it's basically hey, whatever you have the ability to do, do it, but make sure you know you're consuming knowledge. For you, it's podcast because that's the easiest uh, thing you can get. Uh, get to and that's actually a lot of people right like putting something on while they're getting getting something else done um i i know for me concentrating like particularly on on the technical stuff is key so like putting that on kind of passively is a little bit hard for me like i have to be a little bit yeah. more engaged to pick it up um yeah, but, just yeah. like just like all learning you know i have to develop those fundamental principles and build up from there so you know can't just dive into some of these harder highly technical discussions you need to put in the work to kind of grok those basic concepts yeah private it, keys, it public keys utxos yeah and then it you would kind be, of build it, from there it would be interesting to see if some you know if somebody could compile like you know a real nice resource of like like learning Bitcoin from a, a technical standpoint of, you know, so not just like a smattering of everything, but kind of like 
a step-by-step, like first you need to know what a, you know, a, a private key is and a public key, then a UTXO, then, you know, the get into like, you know, the layer two stuff and, and the rest of it, you know? I mean, um, that's if, that's if you want to even like learn that there's Bitcoin is like, it, it covers, like we said, so many different spheres oh, of yeah. influence that like some people, some people just disregard the technical and really into like the finance or the game theory or the computer science. Yeah. Yeah. It touches, it touches so many aspects. I know like for me particularly, again, I'm not super technical, but I have an interest in it, you know, but sometimes jumping I mean, like into... super technical, like even, even us talking like technical. So it's such a relative term, right? Like, oh yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure like between you and your wife and family, you're super technical. And then when, <laughs> <laughs> to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Me, me amongst my family. I am. Yeah, exactly. Um, but a bit depth, it's like most of the crowd's not technical. Oh no, <laughs> no. I mean, I, I try to just, you know, when it comes to like the actual technical conversations, like my only comments in BitDevs is, is a hope to bring it back to like, what is this ultimately like allow for, you know, yeah. in, in, you know, like, because I, the, the technical pieces I, I can't even speak to. Yeah. I mean, one reason I really like BitDevs is because it is among the opportunity for like, you know, those really smart guys to know what they're talking about to kind of have this open dialogue, but it's also this opportunity to, for those guys that have that knowledge to kind of um, explain things and more, you know, and more um, simple terms for, for people like us to help us understand things better. And I know that since I've been going to BitDevs the last couple of years, that has had a tremendous impact on my technical knowledge. So yeah, very, very much appreciative. If you have a bit devs near you, try and go to it. Uh, if you're technical and you know, you should go, you should be engaging at the bit devs for, to help people like us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and everybody, what's nice is most people at these things are there because they want to talk about Bitcoin. They want to help where they can. And so sometimes even, you know, the after, uh, you know, the after conversations or the before conversations, I know, like, I might have a particular topic that it's just like, hey, I'm not really comfortable with my knowledge on this. And you know that you can walk up to one of these technical guys and kind of ask them and dig into it and ask the questions you need, um, you know, that you're not maybe yeah. able to find very quickly by just an internet search, you know? So that's Absolutely. very nice too. Most of the time, those guys are extremely nice and want to help you, and they're excited that someone is taking interest. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you, you've not only kind of contributed for both of these like local uh, Bitcoin meetups, um, but now you're kind of like beginning to to write. You're actually like you've written a couple articles. Uh, you know, we're both kind of blue collar adjacent. Uh, type industry people uh, and I've never even considered writing before um, and so like it's pretty cool it's not something I don't believe that you did before but you've written some articles for Bitcoin magazine uh, and the Mises Institute as well um, so how did that kind of come about like where did uh, you know what inspired you to do that sure I mean I've always I guess I used to write more back when I was in university um, 
I, I was a philosophy major, so writing a whole bunch of philosophy papers. Um, so I, like, I have a knack for it a little bit. Yeah, um, that explains explains quite a bit, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't know. It's just like just something I started doing to try and you know be more productive. Because like I guess it's it's spurred out of you know you're on like Twitter or Noster and you're going through and you might come across someone who says something and, and you might just get like triggered and you're like, oh, you are an idiot. <laughs> and in, instead of like wanting to like have like a Twitter battle and <laughs> I just, you know, took that energy and put it into writing like small little articles that are, you know, kind of like vent that, that pent up emotion. And that kind of is the impetus of my writing. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll ask you, um, I'll ask you about one of those topics here a little bit later uh, on one of your articles that I thought was interesting. But before we go into that, one of the important things about you, you writing in my mind is that people are always looking for their different ways to contribute, uh, you know, contribute to the community, contribute to Bitcoin. Um, you know, they see con uh, Bitcoin as the conduit to making the world a better place, like the, the easiest path to helping the world kind of heal in certain ways. And so what's your recommendation, I guess, um, for contributing, you know, just making a contribution? Because sure. it's not always just jumping straight into a Bitcoin company. You know what I mean? Trying to work directly for a Bitcoin no. company because your skills don't always translate, you know? Yeah. Well, I think the easiest and most direct thing you can do is fund Bitcoin development. You can donate. Um, I know there's, you can either pick a project you like specifically help them. Or I know there's funds like OpenSats that are more general funds for open source technology. Um, but that's probably the like the, the fastest way that you can definitely yeah, yeah. contribute. But like on a more uh, like local level, um, that's going to depend on you and you know where you're going. Um, really, just like you know, tell, it takes self examination to kind of see how you can create value for other people. So you need to be aware of your of the surrounding environment. Try and identify needs and try and find a way where you can help and that's yeah. that, you know, that's just more than bitcoin um you know how can that's what the economy is about how can i provide value to people yeah exchange that value yeah yeah absolutely i mean that that's a good recommendation i think that that focus I mean, in every not, part yeah. of life it's not you know it's going to be specific based off the individual um you're going to have to look at yourself and if if you can't if you can't find a way where you can provide value try and develop a skill set where you can provide value yeah i mean that's kind of the basis of what this show is right like you know i was sitting there going like holy crap you know like i don't see there being a better place to put my time and energy that you know with the thought of my, my children's future, you know, my future children's future. Um, how can I contribute to this thing? And I was just like, 
I have no skills. I'm a, you know, like I'm a salesperson. I'm not, I'm not technical. So I can't really help on this side. You know, I don't have a philosophy background, you know, um, I'm not particularly good at writing or, or, you know, really good with words or anything like that. Um, but I'm not afraid to, to get up in front of people, um, and, and speak about something I'm passionate about. And so that's kind of how the show started where I was like, you know, I don't know anything about video editing. I don't know anything about lighting. I don't know anything about all this, but you know, like you said, you know, I'm willing to fill the gaps and, and spend the, you know, take the effort to fill the gaps. So I think that's a really good recommendation of kind of looking at yourself. Um, and, you know, I also knew that like, you know, jumping into a Bitcoin company was not going to be able to provide for my family the way that yeah. I needed it to. So, yeah, I mean, you're probably going to earn a lot more not working in Bitcoin, even <laughs> if, even if you are a shadowy super coder guy, you're probably going to earn more money working outside of Bitcoin. Yeah. So you have to, you know, you have to assess that, you know, what is best for you and your family. Um, I think everyone on their Bitcoin journey, you, you, eventually you get this feeling where I just want to jump in. I want to, you know, support this thing in any way I can. Um, but you got to find your niche and, you know, you, you got to take care of yourself. You can't forget to take care of yourself and your loved ones. Yeah, absolutely. So in, in one of the articles you wrote that was titled Bitcoin needs to change for its ethos to scale, uh, you write your opinion on how you believe that the base layer of Bitcoin needs to avoid ossification to retain some of its most important attributes uh, for future participants to be able to like enjoy the network um, as we are enjoying it currently. Um, for those who have no idea what I, I just said there, uh, can you briefly touch on that term ossification um, and then in the Bitcoin context and then discuss the attributes of Bitcoin that you believe are put at risk um, if Bitcoin isn't isn't flexible and able to change on, on the base layer. So I guess ossification would just be simply means that like it becomes solid. Um, so it, you reach a point where there are no longer any upgrades that Bitcoin can do at the at the base layer just because the network effect is so the network is so large that that to coordinate that type of change um, becomes like practically impossible. Um, and the second part of your question, um, well, you know, let me ask you this: what, Why do we say "not your keys, not your coin"? So we say not your keys, not your coin, because if somebody else has access to the keys to your Bitcoin, you have fully introduced some form of third party uh, risk. You're counting on somebody else to either protect those keys uh, and you're, you're counting on them to not mismanage them. And, you know, in a lot of what we're seeing, you know, with, you know, the BlockFi's, the um, you know, all, all these crypto exchanges that were holding the keys to people's Bitcoin um, that in a lot of times they weren't they weren't actually holding their Bitcoin and they weren't protecting it properly. Um, and so the whole point of Bitcoin is to have uh, the ability to be self-sovereign and, and to own your money. Yeah, it's about, you know, self-sovereignty at the end of the day, right? 
being able to hold your money. No one can, you're not, you're not beholden to a, a custodian at any, at any level. Um, mm -hmm. So back to my article, um, you know, recently, was it back in like May, I think there was this big, big hoopla in the community about the, uh, like the BRC 20 and the ordinals. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of debate about people thinking, well, are they good? Are they bad? Are they ethical? Are they moral? Um, and, you know, disregard all of that. Cause what it really is, it, um, it was like a simulation of what future demand would look like. Cause what we saw when this happened, when they were minting those ordinals is there was, you know, huge demand for uh, block space. And we saw the fee market explode for what a couple of weeks there. Yeah. And you know what that is, it's just a simulation for if we have like a, you know, a billion or so people on Bitcoin, it's a finite amount of block space. Um, so if we think that Bitcoin really will be adopted at a global level, then we can expect that there be extremely high fee environment to be the norm. And in that situation, self-custody becomes difficult if you don't have a lot of Bitcoin. Um, because and, and why is why is that? Yeah. Because in a sustained high and fee environment, just to transact, there's an economic cost involved involved in that. And if you don't have a lot, then it could cost you more to send your Bitcoin than the Bitcoin you have if you don't have a lot of Bitcoin. And you know, we've seen as Bitcoin is scaling, that it's scaling in layers, and there's Lightning, and there's the talk of like Fediment and you know federated eCash, and um, you know that's that's a great systems, but you know if you want to be self custodial with that, you need to um, open a Lightning channel, and to do that is an on chain transaction. So if you can't afford to do that transaction, you can't afford to open a channel yourself. You're what you're forced into having to do is you're forced into having to use a custodian. So I can somebody else's channel that's open. Yeah. So instead of going to instead of being able to sovereignly open a channel myself, I can't I can't do that. I just have to go to Wallet of Satoshi or some other lightning wallet that I'm beholden to them. And, you know, that is, if that is what the future will be like, then everyone will be, have to have a custodian unless you have a considerable lot of Bitcoin. So, you know, with that and said, like, how do we, how do we solve this? How do we, um, how do we, make sure that in the future, the properties that we enjoy today will be properties that future participants in the network can also enjoy. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the reality is that there have to, Bitcoin has to change in some way. And I think that that can be a difficult pill to swallow for some Bitcoiners. Um, Cause I know that it can be hard, especially for people like us that, don't rock the technicals to to trust to trust these people that are talking about why we should do an upgrade or why we shouldn't do an upgrade. And to be clear, I'm not saying we should just like be upgrading Bitcoin left and right. We you know, we should remain extremely conservative. 
Yeah. But we also have to grapple with the fact that it needs to happen. So I think like that's that was the point of my article to kind of just, you know, point to that nuance that yes, we can't we can't just stick our heads in the sand and say no, Bitcoin doesn't change. We'll just it'll just work. It's working fine. Um and we don't need to do anything. Um and one reason that I'm slightly concerned is that, you know, ossification, if we ossify Bitcoin now, it kind of just sets that in stone. And while there could be like a future where we have federated custodian Bitcoin banks and it's still like separating money from state in that regard, it's not, I don't think it really um, gets to the full potential of what the, what the network could be. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, the whole idea of ossification to somebody, um, you know. Well, sorry, new- uh, you reminded me of something. So like ossification, um, it's not like this thing where we as a community decide like, all right, let's, we're going to ossify today. And that's going to be, <laughs> that's it. It is, it is a product of the network growth. So once the network grows too big, it just ossifies. So, you know, if we don't, if we as a community aren't thinking about how we're going to solve these questions, it's one thing for like these shadowy supercoder guys to even create an engineering feat where they can, you know, address this issue. That's, that's something, you know, I can't really speak into, but it is, it is an engineering challenge that they face, but a whole separate issue is like, even if they can find a solution or, or will, will, will we, will, will we be able to, incorporate that change or will people just say, no, I don't want to change Bitcoin. Bitcoin doesn't need to change. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. So like, I would say, you know, my confidence early on in, in stages in, in Bitcoin came from a different place, you know, kind of thinking that Bitcoin was the way it was and it was unchangeable. Like, from the start, like that's where, when I started on my Bitcoin journey, I was like, there's 21 million Bitcoin that's never changing. It operates in this way. I didn't know really anything about, you know, actually transacting in Bitcoin or, you know, layer twos or any of this and going to a bit, you know, our Bitcoin meetups and speaking to like Shinobi and like hearing these guys talk, like, you know, the, the very technical people it actually gave me anxiety because it was like, well, a lot of the reasons I invested, you know, <laughs> my, my time into this, you know, my energy into this is because I thought that it was something that wasn't going to change. Uh, and then, you know, to start to learn about, you know, uh, BIPs, which are I, Bitcoin improvement proposals. plans, proposals, <laughs> um, plans. to learn, yeah, to, to learn about BIPs and, and then to hear, you know, some of these more nuanced views about, you know, how the network expands and things like this kind of made me feel like a little, little uncomfortable, you know, and then I talk to these guys and you hear that some of these guys are like, they're basically all in on Bitcoin, regardless of, of, of these problems that are around it and go like, well, look, like the existing system is failing regardless. Like there's, you know what I mean? Like it's a known failure. Like we're, we're working on something that is like a much better, uh, platform, you know, to build, 
you know, money in this, in this network off of, uh, than the existing. And if we're going to put trust in our time somewhere, it's going to be in this versus, versus that. How do you, did you bridge that same kind of, did you have that same kind of transition at some point? Yeah. You know, I think, you know, just learning in general, you need to be, um, you need to have the courage to challenge, um, your thoughts and beliefs and reflect on, you know, am I standing on a solid ground or not? And I think as you spend more and more time on Bitcoin, you realize that, you know, yeah, like this thing, this thing is not inevitable. Um, like it is something that needs like nurturing and um, support for it to grow. I mean, there are certain things um, like, yeah, Bitcoin needs to change, but I don't, there will never be a change to the, the supply cap. I don't think. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like change. Why, why does it need to change? Um, it's just a function of, of the technical function of scaling. Um, no, there's, there, I know there's like some other people that, you know, want to add different utility to Bitcoin. Um, I don't, I'm not in that camp. Um, I just think Bitcoin needs to be money. And mm. it's just a matter of scaling those properties up to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, and I, I kind of agree with you there, right? Like, what's what's the problem that bitcoin is truly addressing right and it's sound money potentially yeah sound money sound right. money and you know really separating money and state it's yeah. the to, you know it's the sly roundabout way of doing that through cryptography um which you know it's just so amazing yeah it's it, it's wild it's, it's wild you know like well, well you'll never be able to like make a private money uh, the government will come and shut you down and they have with other you know private entities that have tried to do that but this is you know it really is you know, marveling to see the power of cryptography at work and what it's able to do yeah that's very cool so uh you know not only have you you know we spoke briefly about it not only have you written some articles for bitcoin magazine um but you've also you're i believe a member of the mises institute and I mean, I don't know. If I, I don't think I'm a member. I've, I'm just a contributor <laughs> and, and a contributor. Um, but you've written um, quite a few articles and, and, and quite a few recently for them. Um, can you let the viewers know, first of all, what the Mises Institute is? Um, and, you know, you'll touch base on, um, you know, their theory of economics that they kind of push. And can you speak to to that theory uh, and kind of how it aligns with both Bitcoin, your history, you know, what interested you in it, um, and and how it's kind of putting the world in context for you? Sure. So the the Mises Institute is named after uh, the Austrian economist Ludwig von Mises, um, and it is a school of economic thought that kind of divulges from, I guess, mainstream economics in a couple of ways. Like mainstream economics, um, most of those schools kind of view the economy as this, um, this machine that it can 
intervene and tinker with to try and get certain outcomes to happen. Um, it, it really tries to make economics into like hard science, like physics or chemistry. Whereas the Austrian approach um, is different. It, it sees the economy as not something where we can have top-down control over and kind of um, change the economy as we design the economy. It's more so seeing the economy that properties of the economy emerge spontaneously through the individual actions um, of just individuals doing exchange with one another. Um, so yeah, I really kind of looking at the world in a different way. Um, the economy isn't something we can even fully understand as an individual because mm -hmm. the economy is the sum total of all the individuals, their localized knowledge about their own wants and desires and trying to fulfill those things. So the Austrian approach is really to kind of be deductive. Um, says we can't fully understand what the economy is. It's this, you know, super system that we, we just don't know fully what it is because it's always changing. If we try and measure it, um, how do we know that our measurements are based off the full system? How do we know that when we try to do something, it's not causing these different externalities? Mm -hmm. So the Austrian school kind of has this, um, these axioms which are like in geometry, like, you know, a, a squared plus B squared equals C squared on the triangle. And it's not that we have to go out into the world and measure all these right triangles <laughs> to say, oh, to verify, oh, yep, this, yep, yep, no, no, we, we, we know this through deduction and logic. And that's kind of how the Austrians view the world is um, based off the human action axiom. We're able to, you know, make these, principles about how individuals behave in an economy and um, how intentions um, impact her decisions. Yeah, gotcha. And so that, that's a, an amazing description uh, of the difference. So thank you for, for taking the time to kind of go through that. <laughs> I mean, sure. I know. I mean, it's, 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 it's hard, right? I asked you a giant question and I think you answered it very concisely. Um, so what, how do you think, you know, we see more and more Bitcoiners quoting, uh, Hayek, Mises, all, all these Austrian economists, contributors. Um, why do you think that Bitcoiners are beginning to now study, you know, kind of, you know, maybe before the fact, maybe Satoshi, you know, studied Austrian economics as well. But why do you think so many people in the Bitcoin community are gravitating towards learning more about Austrian economics? Uh, and how do you think that that is kind of helping them, um, you know, develop new theses? I think that um, it comes down to like a shared sense of sound money. Um, you know, Austrian economics talks a lot about the unhampered market economy and how you know, mo how money emerges naturally from the market economy. Um, that's kind of what Bitcoin is. It's it's a voluntary opt-in to network. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of similarities there. You know, Austrians have um, historically 
in hard money gold as being back backing the currency for all the monetary properties um, that I know like safe talks about and a bunch of other economies. Um, so I think they just, you know, that's a happy marriage together. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. And you, you, you mentioned, um, money emerging naturally. Um, and you, you wrote, uh, an article that spoke to, uh, the coercion behind using state money and the effects on, you know, kind of the economy and then the more than just the economy, right? Like the psyche of the people uh, and everything that kind of files down there. I thought that that was like really impactful that, that full idea. And I can't really describe it. I'd, I'd like it if you could expound on uh, the impacts of a coercive type money, which so is one that, emerges naturally so any economy is really just like we talked about the sum total of individuals exchanging and economic exchange is like pretty much the most basic concept um, in economics um, and there's two types of exchange there's mutual exchange or a coercive exchange and mutual exchange is when both parties um, agree voluntarily to the exchange and whenever we have that type of exchange, both parties gain. It's a it's a win-win. Individuals voluntarily making exchange um, won't do so unless they think that they're benefiting, that they're that they're um, they're getting something out of it. Um, whereas coercive exchange um, is sort of one party is forced to make that exchange, and it's, it's something that they would not do if if they were if they had the voluntary choice what's an example um, of that just a uh, voluntary versus involuntary just to keep this super simple sure so voluntary exchange um uh, maybe me buying something from you or just um us talking right now we're exchanging words yeah. you know no one no one no one forced me you did not force me to come on your podcast. You didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I decided freely to do so. Um, and an, an example of coercion is um, like someone pointing a gun in your face, like a robber. You know, instead of the robber buying your watch from you for a fair value that, that you think is, is, is correct, they are forcing you. They're saying, give me your watch or I'm going to hurt you. Yeah. And then in, in this context of like government money versus naturally emerging money. So yeah, the, it comes back to like the, what is the fundamental nature of the state? And it's one of those things that goes very unexamined by most of um, society, but you know, fundamentally the state is coercion. If you don't agree with the state, they will send you a bill and if you don't pay the bill they'll send armed guards to come and take you away and if you resist they'll shoot you and you know <clears throat> so anything that the so the state's money isn't something that the the the, the market freely decides we use dollars not because we i want to because we're forced to if we don't 
adopt that network. Um, you can't pay the state. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. That's, that's a good example. Sorry to derail you, uh, derail you on this. Um, so go a little bit, uh, further into how, how this affects, I mean, you, you touch base on wars, dissatisfaction of the people, like how, how it kind of trickles into every piece of a, a society when this coercion exists. Yeah. So, I mean, like in our day-to-day -day lives, like, you know, we, we are all volunteerists. You know, we, in our day-to-day -day lives, we use, you know, we use voluntary exchange to get through life. Not many of us are using coercion daily, but yet when it comes to, tr to looking at impacting society on a larger scale, we choose this method of the state that is fundamentally force when we don't, we would not do so in our daily life. And we, I don't think we would feel comfortable if we, if we said that you had to, to fund, to go fund some government program, you yourself had to go knock door to door and expropriate the money from people. Would you still support that? <laughs> <laughs> would you still support that state, that state program? If you had to be the one to go and do that yourself? Yeah. I mean, if you're asking me, it depends on the program, but probably not. <laughs> So, um, all right. Well, um, yeah, I think, I think it's just a, a, an interesting, uh, I don't know if that an answers your question. Topic. Sorry. Yeah, no, it, it, it does to, to an extent. I, I really thought, um, you know, the, the dissatisfaction that comes to the people ultimately through that coercion. Uh, and the creation of division amongst people like it really put your article really put it in context to me of like, why is, you know, why is the left pointing so hard towards the right? Why is like it puts it puts context to a lot of it. And so I did want you to describe like a little bit of how it, you know, creates some of these divisions um, and so, some of these you know, issues. We look out and any problems that we have in society, how do we solve these problems? You know, we, you know, we want to, we want to help the poor or we want to have jobs. Um, you know, how do we decide what's the best way to do that? You know, can we as individuals come together to discuss and try out different solutions? Or are you going to just point a gun in my face and say, give me the money because I know the right way to do it. And whenever you do that type of thing, you're going to, you're going to hamper you know, what those solutions could be, you know, freely free individuals voluntarily, you know, deciding for themselves will create better products. That's just how um, an unhampered economy works. Mm -hmm. So when we decide to solve all these problems through coercion, um, it just leads to, you know, those problems not getting solved, costing more money. Yeah. Yeah. And we see that clearly like all around us. Uh, and it's the reason why a lot of us, you know, um, I know you, you went through kind of the libertarian school of thought. Um, I didn't really start looking into anything libertarian until I started learning about Bitcoin. 
um, but you see all of the inefficiencies that are created through the state. Um, and I was actually just talking with, uh, with one of my superintendents at work, and he was saying that the, they did a study recently, and then the cost of sending a child to CPS school, Chicago Public Schools, for uh, a, a year, one child per year, was like something like twenty-two thousand dollars. Like cost, you know, cost to society, right? And we're going like, oh my god, the type of education or in the things that people could do with twenty-two thousand dollars, it was just given to the people rather than you know making its way through uh, you know the state process. Yeah. And so you see these like inefficiencies. Like fundamentally, <clears throat> if you are providing a service, you know, if you have to compete on the market, you need to provide a service that people want. And you have to, the, the entrepreneur goes out into the market and sees like, how can I satisfy the consumer? In, in case for education, like how can I provide the best you know, education for children? And is, it may not be just one size fits all. There, you, in a free market, we would see a whole slew of different, you know, different competing um, levels of education and the ones that are profitable are the ones that are successful because if uh, if it's not some it's not satisfying what people want they're not going to go and pay for it yeah and that yeah. also keeps prices low but at public schools or how public gets funded you know they don't have to compete because they can just say school costs this much you will pay it or they'll, they'll throw you in jail <laughs> simply <That's>, put <laughs> you, you you have no choice in funding the state programs so there, yeah. there's no there's no market mechanism in place for public institutions to provide for the consumer yeah. and that's why you see this you know this delineation of um the product for the consumer it's, it's ineffective and it costs a lot because there's no market incentives for that that service to, to be you know, efficient. Yeah. And we, I mean, I see it even in my industry, right. With, uh, interest rates where they are now, you know, commercial real estate buildings, uh, office buildings that are having to refinance and like, they're terrified, right. They don't have yeah. the money to be spending millions on doing elevator modernizations. And so we don't see that going out, but, we certainly see, I bet a lot of <laughs> yeah, schools. Yeah, that's pretty important. Yeah. yeah, I bet a lot of schools, I bet a lot of, you know, hospitals are going out and I'm bidding a lot of state and federal facilities that don't seem to be uh, responding the same, you know, to the same market conditions that the rest of the world is, right? Um, and it's okay for me because it, it at least allows me to provide for my family still. Um, yeah. But from, you know, the point that you're speaking of, it creates kind of a ripple in this, uh, you know, natural phenomenon of economics because, um, you know, they're not being held to the same place. And if, you know, if they're not getting their money from the people, they're sending those people to jail. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I think that all services that we need in society can be done by the through voluntary exchange of consenting individuals. Um, yeah. and you know, it doesn't sound like that's that controversial, but when you kind of like expand that out to what that means, you know, people kind of like 
Who will build the roads? (laughs) Who will build the roads? As if the state even builds the roads now. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's that's a whole. Yeah. For me, like, I don't know. I think the state is kind of like our modern day superstition in a way. Um, Like, imagine going to like, uh, go back in time or to some like Aboriginal like tribe. And, you know, they would do rain dances for their harvest or they'd have practices that, you know, we would look at and we'd just be blown away. Like, why did you think that, that would work? <laughs> and it's just kind of like, well, this is their established tradition. And like, I hope that, you know, as in the future, um, we'll look back similarly, like with the institution of the state and be like, why did the people think that using to forcing people to do things, you know, would, would be a good thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bitcoin uh, certainly helps in, in the freedom aspect. Uh, that's, that's for sure. But as yeah, we kind of wind separate money in state. Yeah. As, as we wind down here, um, one thing I want to ask you, cause you're always consuming material is what are you reading currently? What are, what are you working on? Um, right now I'm reading a piece by Jeff Deist, the former, um, I think he was the head of the Mises Institute for 10 years, but he recently just left. Um, so he just put out a book called, um, a strange new Liberty politics drops its pretenses. Um, and it's really just a collection of some of his Mises articles, um, from the past couple of years. Okay. So that's what I'm reading right now. Um, Maybe yeah, you'll have pretty one much of your like, own books at some point. <laughs> Collection of uh, articles. We'll see. Yeah, maybe one day. Maybe once the yeah. kid, you know, is older and I have time. Yeah. Yeah. The, the time is scarce. That is for sure. Um, and then one question that I ask every guest uh, that comes on now is, uh, as I've mentioned before, I'm an elevator salesperson uh, by trade. And so what is your 30-second elevator pitch for Bitcoin? I don't have one. You got nothing? I, I, you know, I've kind of reached this point where um, I don't orange pill people. <laughs> I, you know, um, I, I've done my fair share of trying to orange pill people, like, way back. Like, not even orange pill. It's not, it wasn't Bitcoin. It was really... Cause I had a similar experience, like getting into the Liberty movement, like a 10 years ago. And it's, it's very, it's very similar to Bitcoin. It's, it's, it's kind of funny, but you kind of go down these like libertarian thought rabbit holes and you're like, I want to, I want to share this with everyone. <laughs> and you do that and they just, they just push you back with like just FUD or like well, just. Well, what about, you know, when so, your son turns 16 years old and he says, Dad, when I was a child, you spent a lot of time uh, away listening and participating and writing and doing things for the Bitcoin network. Why did you do it? How about that instead of a... So, I mean, no, I, I, let me be clear. I have, I, mean, I have no issues like talking. I love to talk about Bitcoin. But like, I guess my point was like, you know, the expression like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've kind of you know, taken a step back from trying to lead the horses to water. But if, if there's a thirsty horse, I'm down <laughs> to, to feed it some water. Gotcha. Um, 
And like, you know, I, I, I kind of, I appreciate how certain people in the Bitcoin community are like are trying to go out into the world and like orange pill the world. Like I'm on a mission from God type of thing. <laughs> but, you know, to be honest, like, I don't think that that really is going to have in the grand scheme of things. I don't think that's going to have that much of an impact on Bitcoin adoption. I think Bitcoin adoption is not going to be, it's not going to come about because of every individual having this like aha moment, like, oh my God, you know, Bitcoin go down the rabbit hole even. I think Bitcoin is going to be one of those technologies that gets adopted because of just, you know, how amazing it is. It's like how many people today ride a horse and buggy around? <laughs> no just, one. Just everyone, some in Michigan, every, right? <laughs> everyone's, everyone's, everyone's driving cars and you know why are they driving cars it's not because they understand how a combustion engine works and can appreciate all the the, the magnificent engineering involved in the machine it's mm -hmm. because it's the best thing it works it works at what it's intended to do so i think you know as time goes on and and you know fiat continues to melt at, at more and more of a rapid rate <clears throat> bitcoin just has to keep doing what it does and I think that's how we actually will get network growth. Yeah. Um, so that's why I'm kind of you know, taking a step back from having orange pilling people. I, I hear you, but you just, <laughs> you just inadvertently fucking nailed it without me <laughs> coercing you even further uh, into the question. But uh, Mike, man, I just, uh, I wanted to thank you for coming on. Um, thank you for representing, you know, Chicago bit devs, uh, uh, so well on a consistent basis. Um, and before I let you go, just let everybody know where they can find you. Uh, if, yeah, well, thanks, they're for, interested thanks, for, too. Yeah, thanks for having me on Julian. Um, yeah, it was, it was fun. Um, but I am on Twitter, I'm on Noster, um, and I have a links on those to all the, all the writings I've done for Mises and Bitcoin magazine. So you can find me there. Okay. And I'll make sure to post it in the show notes, uh, and we'll have Twitter handles below so that they can find you there. But, uh, thanks again for joining and, uh, look forward to seeing you at the next bit dev. Yeah, man. See you soon. All right. See ya.